figured, why not um, do two before I go on vacation? Because we're getting picked up at 4 p.m. and it's like 10.30. And we woke up at like 7 something. And we've already cleaned the refrigerator and the bathroom. And then took a break and then... We decided to have breakfast, but in a half hour, and I was like, half hour? That's the same amount of time it takes me to record one of these. Um, let me get the magnifying glass. I have a feeling it, it might be a magnifying glass kind of day. I love this shirt so much that I'm wearing it in spite of... There's a hole in it somewhere that I can't find right now, which makes me wonder if it's that big of a deal. Maybe from the back it's like painfully visible, but I don't know. I'm just into Paisley. I feel like, uh, you know, being born in 78, I wasn't really conscious, switched on till the early 80s, making memories, you know. Um, and whatever time I spent in the Bardo, and then being very old, presumably, before that, I feel like I missed the 70s. Like, I just wasn't there. It's this phantom ghost time where my parents were younger than I remember them. And uh, anyway, all right, I'm going to keep reading, picking up where I left off. Okay, so uh, there was a quote around a phrase that I remember and as soon as I see it I'll remember and I see it now and I remember ground of the human essence so we're going to move forward going to switch back to wow right you know what I mean uh yeah okay that quote you remember the one I found oh here we go Understood in this manner, analysis could furnish the basis for cultural renewal. I'm on board. I'm, you know, I'll stop being a silly cynic. Uh, this articulated the intimate interconnection between individual and collective events that was at the center of Liber Novus. Right? For Jung... The conjunction between his bless you, his pre his pre between his precognitive visions, for Jung the conjunction between his precognitive visions and the outbreak of war had made apparent the deep subliminal connections between individual fantasies and world events which is something that uh, we've already gone over. Oh, hyphen. And hence, oh who? Between the psychology of the individual and that of the nation. All right. All right. What was now required was to work out this connection in more detail. Fair enough. Jung noted that 
after one had analyzed and integrated the contents of the personal unconscious, one came up against mythological fantasies that stemmed from the psychologenic layer of the unconscious. The psychology of the unconscious processes, and that's in italics, so we can assume that it's a title of something written by Jung, maybe. Uh, provided an exposition, provided an exposition of the collective, suprapersonal, absolute unconscious. These being these terms being used interchangeably. All right, let's go. What are these interchangeable terms again? Collective unconscious, suprapersonal unconscious, and absolute unconscious. Your homework today is to work in suprapersonal unconscious and separately absolute unconscious in conversation with someone in a place where you might have ordinarily said collective unconscious. All right, moving along. These terms being used interchangeably. Yeah, we got that. He argued that one needed to separate oneself from the unconscious by presenting it visibly as something separate. It was, the vi it was vital to differentiate the I from the non-I. Mm -hmm. uh, namely, the collective psyche or absolute unconscious. To do this, quote, man must necessarily stand upon firm feet in his I function. That is, he must fulfill his duty toward life completely so that he may in every respect be a vitally living member of society. He must. I hear what you're saying. I'm going to behave myself today. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally agree with that. <sighs> all right, all right. I'll keep, I'll keep trying. Both, this happens with the Buddhist scriptures sometimes, too, where I'm like, Buddha, what are you talking about? You know. Anyway, both of these tasks separating from the unconscious by presenting it visibly, and at the same time maintaining one's worldly duties and responsibilities, were what he had been endeavoring to do in this period. Ah, maybe he got over it. One can hope. In Transformations and Symbols of the Libido, Jung had called the contents of this unconscious typical myth or primordial images, period. All right, let me try that again. <laughs> In Transformations and Symbols of the Libido, remember he wrote that? Jung had called the contents of this unconscious typical myths or primordial images. Ah, see, it's about emphasis, not even punctuation, just ability to work and rework a sentence as it is until it makes sense. He also called them dominance, the ruling powers, the gods, with a capital G. Um, that is, 
images of dominating laws and principles, average regularities in the sequence of images. Average regularities in the sequence of images. What are you doing, Edward? Oh, I'm just observing the adequate regular. The what? Never mind. Um, <laughs> yes. uh, the, the brain has received from the sequence of secular processes. <laughs> there we go, there we go. Hey, Edward, what are you doing? Oh, just observing the average regularities in the sequence of images that the brain has received from the sequence of secular processes. <laughs> you know, like uh, walking down the street, singing doo-wah-diddy. One needed to pay particular attention to these dominance. Especially important was the detachment of the mythological or collective psychological contents from the objects of consciousness and their consolidation as psychological realities outside the individual psyche. This reminds me a little bit of a, uh, a schizophrenic man that I uh, once taught. <laughs> um, I won't say his name. Uh, but anyway, yeah, oh my gosh. Well, there's too many stories. All of them just popped into my head just then. But the, the one in particular that I wanted to mention was that uh, he said, I wanted to thank you. And I said, why? And he said, for, ha let, you know, having me, for sending me your dad's book because uh, I, I learned a lot from it. And I was like, oh, good. What did you learn? He said, well, see, when I was gone for those three months, I was in a parallel universe exactly like this one, exactly like Pasadena, except all of the signs, the street signs, the businesses, everything that would normally be in English or maybe Spanish was in Hebrew. And I was like, wow, interesting. And he was like, yeah. And this one time in particular, I was waiting for the bus and it said the three something, 301, I'll just say, bus. Uh, and I was looking at it, it's 301. Mm -hmm. Yep, 301. I look back and it says 201 or 401, right? And, uh, and he wanted to run up to the other people at the bus stop and grab them by the shoulders and shake them and say, do you see it? Did you see that? But he remembered what my dad said about letting the flesh place headstuck ones have their shared reality and playing along with it so that they don't lock you up again. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, that's, that is one of the things that, that my dad said in this book. I'm glad, I'm glad I was able to help you in that particular case. So in other words, the, the regular things, the things that occur regularly in consciousness, like red lights and stopping at them, you know. Uh, yeah, keep those, right. You know, uh, I mean, in order to operate in society, bare minimum, right? But when you're, when you're delving inside, one thing I've noticed <laughs> is when you delve inside and systematically one at a time just pour boiling acid on all of the uh, shared agreement, fixed axiom assumptions 
that aren't the ones that you're choosing to maintain, whether it be uh, because it passes some high standard of uh, ver ver verisimitude, veracity, or whatever, you know, um, or what, you know, or, or, you know, some people do something similar and then only keep the things that, like, uh, provide them with the most happiness. And so it's like, well, it may be true that uh, the universe is going to expand until it just freezes out and there's no matter left in the universe. But, you see, that makes me feel depressed. So I'm going to choose to believe in some kind of a big bang, big crunch accordion theory, even though... Uh, that's kind of outdated and has been largely discarded by the collective uh, scientific minds of our generation. I mean, that's a way to do it. You can do that. And I did that, honestly. I did that for a little while. But only about eight years um, post that being debunked. Like back when people were seriously proposing it as one possible thing that's happening. Like, well, the universe is expanding now, but at a certain point it's going to start to slow down and then it's going to you know, implode and then it's all going to end up at a single point and then poof, another big bang. And then like in the past 30 years, people have been like, but if you asked like 17 year old me, I'd be like, yeah, I, I like the big bang, big crunch theory. The, the big accordion theory, you know. I've been talking for too long. I don't know if I said anything. I thought maybe it was related to what he's saying, but it's probably not. Yes, yes, dominance, right, okay. This enabled one to come to terms with the activated residues of our ancestral history, right, for example. Uh, oh, the thing that I noticed is that when you do that, over a period of years to the point where like you don't have any of them you know and then you try to have a conversation with somebody who's kind of like hyper aware of micro signals and uh and and facial expressions and you're not having the appropriate responses to um all the things that they and their cousins and everyone that they work with and everyone they've ever known um all have, and then they're, you're like sort of an alien to them. That's one thing I've noticed. But um, I have less of a problem with that living in India because people just see, oh, he's a foreigner. So what's it like being a foreigner? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, and they're like, oh, I guess that's what being a foreigner is like. <laughs> Where if I'm hanging out with other people, you know, distant cousins in uh, Southern California, then I stand out like a sore thumb. You know what I mean? Alright, um, where was I? Uh, this enabled one to come to terms with the activated residue of our, our, our ancestral history. The differentiation of the personal from the non-personal resulted in a release of energy. Yes, yes, because if by default you're hanging on to ancestral inherited uh, engrams, as they say in Scientology, or... Uh, implants or, or patterns of thought or uh, fixed ideas or, you know, trying to tightly wrap things around certain assumptions that you inherited. Um, and then you shine a big light on that and go, oh, these are the values that I formed based on personal experience. These are the values that are a, a changed form of values I inherited from my great 
great-grandparents who were Puritans, you know, then you can be like, I don't need those. And then suddenly you don't need the... It's like deleting half of your your hard drive. (laughs) Suddenly the computer works better, right? All right, and there's room for more new experiences. Um... Right, yes. These comments uh, uh, represent another description of his activity. The attempt to differentiate the various characters that appeared and to consolidate them as psychological realities. Yeah, that's fun. Um, The notion that these figures had a psychological reality in their own right and were not merely subjective figments was the main lesson that he attained in the imaginal figure of Elijah. Psychic objectivity. Wow, it just occurred to me that when I was like 17 and I was in the the universe card, the world card, and this guy showed up in a yellow leisure suit like, hey, and long story short, like he didn't identify himself as such, but within a year and a half, I had turned him into a fictional character who was the son of God and the devil. Uh, but it, not to say that he was like half evil, half good, or, or what, something like that, but rather he was the new generation of the same idea as God and the devil. And uh, he was neither. Um, he was both, but not that wasn't the point of him. Um, sense I don't know anyway there's a whole the, the whole thing uh, I'll just point um, anyway uh, but yeah that's actually a little bit similar to what Jung described about the uh, Abraxas uh, unfolding as the new god in his soul and which was a unification of God and the devil like, hey hey is that just something that happens when you are a space cadet or what? Like a, a very analytical space cadet. Jung, enga- Jung argued that the era of reason and skepticism inaugurated by the French Revolution had had the effect that religious and religion and irrationalism. I didn't know that was an ism. Ooh, and here I am echoing Ferris Bueller saying I don't believe in isms. There's one I might just believe in. Irrationalism, it's nice. Anyway, uh, had been repressed, repressed, repression of irrationalism, God forbid. 5G. Uh, this had serious consequences. Did they now? Okay. Uh, which had led to the outbreak of irrationalism represented by the World War. Too much sense-making, an enforcement of a standard of sense-making, repressing the natural urge to not make sense, results in an explosion of not making sense. I guess it, it does kind of intuitively, like, not make sense, but rhyme or sound right, but I'll keep reading. Um... Yes, it had thus a historical necessity to acknowledge the irrational as a psychological factor. The acceptance of the irrational forms 
one forms one of the central undertakings in the black books. Oh, good. How fun. In the psychology of the unconscious processes, Jung developed his concept of psychological types. He noted that the psychological characteristics of the types were commonly pushed to extremes by what he termed the law of enantiodromia. 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 Uh, which he, uh, by, by what he termed the law of enantiodromia. Enantiodromia, you know. Enantiodromia. I'm too lazy to look it up. Oh, maybe he's going to define it right now. Or the reversal into the opposite. Enantiodromia, the reversal into the opposite. All right. The next time you're watching a TV show and... uh, Never mind. Okay. Mm -hmm. And thinking for the extrovert. What? Hmm. Oh, no. Right. Excuse me. The reversal into the opposite. The opposing function entered in. Namely, feeling for the introvert and thinking for the extrovert. Now, come on. Feeling for the introvert and thinking for the extrovert? The opposite in introdremia went the reversal into the opposite. So instead of being an introvert, you feel for a fucking change. And instead of being an extrovert, you think. What? So, implied here is that introverts don't feel and extroverts don't think. I agree. I agree. No, I don't really agree. I'm just saying that because I'm trying to be less of a contrarian and always disagreeing with Mr. Uh, Jung. Okay, where were we? The, uh, yes, these secondary functions were found in the unconscious. The development of the contrary function led to individuation. As the, oh yeah, my dad described this in a funny poetic way. Um, As the contrary function was not acceptable to consciousness, what was required to come to terms with it was the production of the transcendent function. The unconscious was a danger when one was not at one with it, but with the establishment of the transcendent function, the disharmony ceased. This allowed access to the productive and beneficent aspects of the unconscious. The unconscious contains the wisdom and experience of untold ages, and served as a an unparalleled guide. The development of the contrary function is portrayed in the Mysterium section of the Liber Novus, dealing with the December 1913 encounters with Elijah and Salome. What do you want to bet they were white in his imagination? 
Uh, just Um, The attempt to gain the wisdom stored in the unconscious is portrayed throughout the black books. Jung's eye asks his soul to tell him what she sees and the meaning of his fantasies. Oh, what she sees. Fantasies. Sorry. The unconscious is here viewed as a source of higher wisdom. Jung concluded that the essay, by indicating, Jung concluded the essay by indicating the personal and experiential nature of his new conceptions. Quote, our age is seeking a new spring of life. I found one and drank of it, and the water tasted Good. End quote. I've got four minutes left. I can't think. I don't think I'm going to ramble for four minutes at the end. So I'll just, a little teaser for next time. The emergence of Fanes, P-H-A-N-E-S, the seventh sermon, had culminated in an evocation of a star god. An immeasurable distance, at immeasurable distance, a lonely star stands in the zenith. This is the one god of this one man. This is his world, his pleroma, his divinity. In this world, man is Abraxas, the creator and destroyer of his own world. This star is the god and the goal of man. This is his one guiding god. In him, man goes to his rest. Toward him goes the long journey of the soul after death. In him, everything that man withdraws from the greater world shines resplendently to this one god. Man shall pray. Okay.